either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Once again this week, it's a little bit of theaters, it's a little bit of streaming, it's a little bit of both. And it's some good stuff to check out. And welcome to the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. We will start out with the story of a young mother reconnecting with her larger-than-life playboy father on an adventure through New York, Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. Really? She's back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on. Do you? He should be worshiping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if he's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through! Here's the plaza. This is the place to have an affair. It has the most exits. Exits on three streets. Can you just act a little less excited about this? Because this is my life. Oh. It might be falling apart. You and I are big Sofia Coppola fans. Yeah, she's done some really quality stuff. And I think people, they may not know about all her films, right. but they probably know the last time that she worked with Bill Murray. Yes, which won her an Academy Award for Best Screenplay for Lost in Translation and earned him his first Academy Award nomination. And of all of her films, On the Rocks, it, it feels in a way, it treads some familiar ground. It, it's similar in a lot of ways to uh, Lost in Translation because it's about a woman who's just not entirely certain about where her marriage is going. Mm -hmm. She's a bit listless. And the bulk of the film is really about her relationship with a father figure played by Bill Murray. Of course, in this case, it is her father. <laughs> so, you know, the dynamic is different, but there are a lot of similarities. And I also feel like both films are, to a degree, at least a little bit autobiographical for Coppola. Yeah, and maybe even for Rashida Jones, because when you think about both yes. of those women, they both grew up with very famous larger-than-life fathers in Francis Ford Coppola and Quincy Jones. So Rashida Jones probably comes at this with some understanding as yeah, well. Yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty inspired casting, actually. Yeah, yeah. and then you got Bill Murray, who I could, you know, we're going to talk about how the, the, the award season this year is just a free-for-all with Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer in the lobby, but I could see Bill Murray getting another nomination for this. He's fantastic. He is fantastic. He is just, I mean, he's always an oddball, you know, he has such oddball charm, and in this movie, it is just it is just dialed up to 11 and it's so funny because basically she starts to think maybe there's reason to believe that her husband is being unfaithful yeah her husband's played by marlon wayans and he's a he's in this you feel like he's in a kind of a startup company right. he always has to go out of town he's got a very attractive assistant that they're always going out of town and then she starts to think well maybe he's having an affair and dad just kind of jumps on that right away. Oh, right, yeah. Right. And the, I mean, the, you know, her story really is that she is kind of hit a rut. Yeah. And so she's just looking around. She's not feeling very comfortable in herself. And so she's maybe reading something into this. But her father, lifelong philanderer, he feels like, well, look, I've got sage wisdom. Yeah. I have something to share. Let's go on an adventure. And so it's really fantastic the way that Coppola has you sort of in this adventure film with this father and daughter who are tooling around Manhattan spying on 
her husband, even though that's not really the story they're telling. The story they're telling is more of this very bittersweet relationship between a father and a daughter and kind of the legacy of complicated father-daughter relationships. Yeah, and I think what's great and subtle about Bill Murray's performance is he is he, he's playing a schmoozer. This character is a is a rich art dealer, I think, yeah. and he just knows everybody. He can talk his way out of a traffic ticket. Just everybody <laughs> he knows, everybody. Oh, how's your dad? How's this going on? How's your back? And it could have easily fallen into a classic Bill Murray character, like right out of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. But it doesn't go no, there. No, he makes it different. Yes, and it's it's so irresistible because even though there's a lot not to like about this guy. You can see why it's impossible pe- not to like You can him. see why people are drawn yeah. to him. Yeah, and and even though she has a lot to be mad at him for for her upbringing, she still goes along. Yeah. and like I think you said this morning on TV, you could see how on one hand you're going, why would you go and do this with your father? And then on the other hand, you could say, yeah, I could see that why you would go yeah, and do exactly. that with your father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bill Murray. There's a moment in the film that I just love where uh, she says to her father, "It must be nice." being you and he says just very nonchalantly wouldn't have it any other way you know <laughs> yeah. and it, it, it kind of crystallizes the whole relationship both of them are so good they're yeah, so the good together yeah the chemistry between them is fantastic because she plays a very it seems very lived in like this feeling that you said like she's in a rut mm-hmm. you just feel it she's just kind of going along and oh yeah everything's nice but oh Maybe he's having an affair, and I'm just not happy with what I'm doing yeah. these days, even though I should be. Yeah. And then maybe she feels guilty for, for feeling that way. Yeah. And all of it just comes off in a very, very authentic performance that just meshes perfectly with Bill Murray. Yeah. I mean, the only, for me, shortcoming that the film has is it tidies things up in a way that I don't expect from a Sofia Coppola movie. Yeah, I agree. And if everybody is remembering that great ending to Lost in Translation, you might get the feeling that this one fizzles out a little bit toward the end, I suppose, but that's not really taking anything away from it. I I think it's it's totally enjoyable. Oh, yeah. From all that we were able to gather, it's out this weekend in select theaters. Yeah. And then, I believe, in a couple of weeks, it's going to full streaming, including Apple TV. Yes. But some theaters have it it this week. Yep. And so you could check it out early, but... uh, Whichever way you check it out, I think you'll have a good time. We both think you'll have a good time with On the Rocks. Speaking of good times, let's go to a horror comedy next. Terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring for his ailing father, Officer Marshall struggles to remind himself there's no such thing as werewolves. This is the Wolf of Snow Hollow. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. There's going to be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town. And I didn't want to set up expectations that I can't keep. Our expectations of you are very low. Spans of the bites are gigantic. Same as the distance of the paw prints. It's a wolf. Or maybe it's a werewolf. Where were you? Where were you? John, none of you talk to me at once, okay? They're saying it's a wolf. No, it's a man. When do I get to be right about something? You want to be sheriff? How about we start acting like one? Man, this was entertaining. <laughs> uh, we were looking forward to this, and I thought it was just a ball. This is writer, director, and star Jim Cummings, who two years ago had a breakout movie called Thunder Road, which we both loved. Oh, it made our top ten of the year list. And it was a it was a, a feature based on his short film yeah. of the same name. 
from years ago. And so now, not a lot of people saw that, I don't think, but the people that did see it were impressed, uh, enough to give him a bigger budget now. And he basically, <laughs> if you've seen Thunder Road, you're going to say, well, he kind of rewrote that movie and threw in werewolves. Yes. And yeah, but that's <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing. No, as it turns out, and you know, and, and right, I'll, right immediately, I'm going back through some of my other favorite movies from that year and wondering if it would be fun to see somebody throw werewolves <laughs> into a remake of those. It oh. is, you know, there's something so just captivating about the tone that he manages to hit. It's comical, obviously. It's also very earnest and endearing and a little heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, although I think this one also hor- horrific and I would say a little bit more of an outright comedy. Yeah, and it's it has these moments of absurd comedy that just come out of nowhere and it also touches on some real human drama of, of struggle and loss and all these things are thrown together and also this time he really exhibits more style as a director. Yeah. I think so. A lot of this movie looks fantastic. Oh, it really, When they're really out does. in the landscapes mm-hmm. of this snow town yeah. and the, the snow and the uh, above shots from the trees and everything like that. And just the way he sets things up. And also, I, I think he's been watching some Edgar Wright movies because <laughs> some of the visual yes. cues and yeah. some of the scene transitions, very Edgar Wright. And that's fine. Oh, it's great. Because I think, Everybody should be doing that. Well, the thing is, it's just another example of how Jim Cummings, at least in the two films that I've seen from him, he seems to have this idea, this uh, ability to take all these these elements that seem very familiar and yet come out the other side with something that feels so original. Very fresh. Yeah, I, a lot of people are comparing this one to Fargo. They're saying Fargo with werewolves, and I can see that as yeah. well. And, if you but haven't right seen there, Thunder Road. Right, if you haven't seen Thunder Road. But the, what, but the point that I'm, I'm trying to make is that if you're being compared in your very second film to Edgar Wright and the Coen brothers, you're doing something right. Yeah, and I can see that comparison. Also, you'll see elements of Jaws in here. You'll see elements of <laughs> all sorts of werewolf movies, including Silver Bullet, if you remember that. Uh, And even Silence of the Lambs. I mean, all these different things come into play. But at the same time, when it was over, I was so entertained by it. I had a ball with it. I laughed out loud several times. But then you also have these bloody, brutal murders. Yeah, and, you know, and some poignant moments. And also, it's the last film for Robert Forster. So it's a little bit, and he's playing an an aging, ailing sheriff. So Mm -hmm. bittersweet there, but lovely to see him. And he does a great job. He does. And really, the whole ensemble, including uh, Ricky Lindholm, who plays... She's spot on perfect. Sort of the the most reliable deputy who's doing the the best... Police work in the middle of all these doofuses. She's great. The whole ensemble is great. And we, it's just one that is, again, in theaters, in select theaters this weekend and also on VOD. Yeah. And really recommend this. It's got that, of course, it's October, so people are looking for scary stuff, kind of Halloween vibe. This has it. Werewolves. Oh, yeah. You know, but it also has some great comedy. And if you see this and you like it, we really would also recommend look up Thunder Road. It's just brilliant. Yeah. it's And and for the rest of the podcast, by the way, you are going to be Jorge Lobo. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, big recommendation from both of us for Jim Cummings' new one, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Next is one we've been looking forward to talking about for a while. About a year after the disappearance of her husband, a struggling farmer in an isolated Appalachian community fights to save her son when the cold-hearted matriarch of the oldest family on the mountain demands payment of a debt that could destroy a decades-old truce. This is the devil to pay. I suppose you're wondering why I summoned you. The debt is paid. 
I gave him a chance to make it right. Find your husband, return what's mine, or I'll murder your boy. And I'll bury you in live right next to him. The father of my child lying in a ditch somewhere halfway down the mountain. Takes a while to dig a grave. They got my boy. I need your help, Percy. It's war. Man, oh man, did we love this movie. We love this movie. Got to see it a year ago at uh, the Nightmares Film Festival here in Columbus. It was an award winner. It blew us away. We were on the jury, and we got to see this as it was just submitted to, right. to hopefully be selected for the festival. And it was a stop-the-presses moment. It was. Hold on. This is the one. Absolutely, it was. And it was an award winner, and at the time, it didn't have distribution. Which is often the case in yeah. film festival films. Right. Well, happy to say it does now. It's out this week on VOD, and it's a it's a bargain VOD. It's yeah. only three ninety nine. Highly recommend watch it. it. Watch it, watch it, this watch it, watch it. This is writers and directors Lane Sky and Ruckus Sky, and it features tremendous performances. The whole cast is great, led by Danielle Deadweiler. Uh, her character is named Lemon, and we got to talk to the, the Skies. You interviewed them for a piece um, about this movie, and they pretty much wrote this for Danielle Deadweiler. Exactly. They they knew her. They're all in the Atlanta area. They thought highly of her talent, and they were looking for something to do together, so they just wrote her a Southern Gothic drama thriller, and man, does she kill it. She kills it. And the really the main villain in this, the matriarch of the mountain, another fantastic performance, Catherine, Catherine Dyer. Dyer. So great. I said this the, this morning on TV, my favorite villain of the year. The word ignoramus will forever <laughs> be changed every time you hear it. But it just sets a great tone, and it, it has moments that really resonate. In fact, there's an, there's an opening sequence of, of the movie, a conversation between the mother, Lemon, and her son, mm. and she says something to him that right away you think to yourself, you have a rebuttal for it. Yeah. And by the end of the movie, it's clear they knew what your rebuttal was, right. and they address it. And it's just, oh, so, so well done. It's such a, it is such a satisfying film in so many ways, because, you know, it tells a great story about, you know, just this, this woman who is in a situation where she has to repay a debt. And so that's the thrill. That's the plot itself. But there is so much understatement there. This is such a lived-in world where racism is never even sort of addressed directly. But the fact that it's in the South and it's white people and they have something against this black family speaks for itself. But the other thing I love about it is that your your antagonist and protagonist, they're both women, and that's also not addressed. And and as the the skies pointed out to me in the interview, that often in the South, especially in, you know, older communities, communities that have been around for a long time, it's just the oldest person in the family who gets to make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, it's the matriarch. And, and, and I just love that it's not it's never addressed. That's not really the point, but there's no way that you cannot notice it. And it's this tremendous microcosm of a community that is totally unconcerned with the outside world. Right. This is their world. They have their laws. And nobody better come in here and try to tell them to live any yeah. other way. And if you do live there, you have to abide by these rules. And there are some stiff, stiff penalties if you don't. And there are times you would call this a thriller. Yeah. But as we mentioned, this was that this was we saw this as part of a horror film festival, Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus. So but it does get into the 
aspects of horror. Yeah, it does. It, there, there is some brutal violence. There is a cult. That's usually the that's usually the fodder of horror. <laughs> yeah. um, but don't don't cross that cult. Don't boy. do it. Woo. Don't do it. Um, it's just such an impressive film in every respect, and I'm I'm so so happy that that a wider market can finally see it, and yeah. and I just really. We really recommend that you yeah. watch Devil to Pay. Yeah, especially with a three ninety nine price for the for the rental. It's out uh, this weekend called The Devil to Pay. Loved it. Well, let's get into Halloween vibe with Adam Sandler. Despite his devotion to his hometown of Salem and its Halloween celebration, Hubie Dubois is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike. But this year, something is going bump in the night, and it's up to Hubie to save Halloween. Hubie, Halloween. Salem PD. Yeah, you're over here. This is Hubie Dubois. Shalem needs me. What are you going to do, Mr. Dubois? We're going to do every October 31st. Make sure every citizen is protected. No one in Shalem is safe tonight. We got an unsolved mystery here. Oh. Hubie! I know who did this. Not now, Hubie. Mayor, I suggest we cancel Halloween immediately. We ain't canceling a damn thing. Well, after his fantastic, fantastic performance in Uncut Gems uh, wasn't nominated for an Oscar, no. uh, Adam Sandler said, well, he's going to go back to the stupid stuff. And it's, uh, there's some humor in that, but this is the stupid stuff. This is the stupid stuff. He's back I... getting together with just his friends and family. Everybody that you expect to be in this movie is in this movie just probably to have a good time filming it. And it's just that sort of moronic horror that... Certainly has a group of fans attached to it. We're not really two of them. No, you know, he plays that doofusy character that he plays so well. With a funny voice. Yeah, with a goofy voice and a silly name and a, and a mama who loves him and a, a much, much, much too attractive woman that he hopes to <laughs> be able to, but he just can't bring himself to ask out. It's like you said, it's, it's all the cast of characters that you expect to see. Yeah. It's dumb. Although they add Steve Buscemi this time. He, Steve Buscemi's in a ton of his movies. Is he? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I, I have been able to avoid a lot of them. But <laughs> Steve Buscemi this time is a, a neighbor with a secret. That's right. But uh, The yeah. always welcome Steve Buscemi. Oh, always. Are you but... kidding me? Yeah. And so if you want something to watch with the kids that's just stupid and all about Halloween, this would be it. But other than that, I would pass it. But it's on Netflix, and it's the number one movie on Netflix right now. God so. help us. Yeah. So he's doing something right with Hubie Halloween. And we got a bunch more Halloween flicks. Let's start with a devout community suffering from a plague, being torn apart by a beautiful young woman and the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. The curse of Audrey Earnshaw. God makes summer and winter come and go. He's faithful from generation to generation. God makes the plants grow and flowers bloom. He's faithful from generation to generation. God gives us help. He grants us. Audrey? Audrey? Witches. Witches for Halloween. Yay! <laughs> and this is writer and director Thomas Robert Lee. I enjoyed this one, uh, and I was a little bit, you know, uh, concerned about it because possession and witchcraft, it, you know, it does. But the truth is that uh, beginning with The Witch, Robert Eggers' masterpiece, uh -huh. The Witch, I think that 
witches as a horror movie sort of concept have taken a very, very interesting turn. And I, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, I can see that. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, Hagazusa was amazing. Yes, and of course, yes. Suspiria, the remake of Suspiria, yeah. was also amazing. And this definitely follows in that sort of more interesting and intriguing approach, which is that kind of the difference between a witch and, say, a vampire or a werewolf is that a witch has made a conscious decision to follow this path. Whereas, you know, the other you can see is kind of tragic figures. And, and, I, and I like films that embrace that, that they say, no, yeah. she's an agent of her own destiny. And on top of that, witches, quote unquote, have a very real history in this country and a, that, that has an undercurrent of persecution of women yeah. that can come into play in a movie that was done so well with Robert Eggers' The Witch. Yeah. And when you pull that in to, to, uh, to a movie about witches... Now, I think that adds another layer that they can really find some fertile ground to, to uh, add something that hopefully is subtle and still make very valid points. Yeah, the filmmaker here does definitely make uh, some attempts at looking at the position that women hold in this society. And it's a weird society. It is a, an Irish um, religious group who moved to the United States many, 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 many years ago, and they live in the hills alone, so they have really not sort of, their culture hasn't evolved as the rest of the United States has. So it's modern, it's set in 1973, but it could just as easily be 1850. Mm -hmm. You know, the way everybody looks, the way, you know, uh, they get around, the way that they're dressed, the way that they behave. And it's an interesting, so, so things that sometimes seem anachronistic maybe aren't because it's not set in the 1800s. It right. is set in, in 1973, which was an interesting year to choose to set it in what that meant in terms of sort of win, women's rights in the United States. He does a lot of interesting things in that sort of feminist vein. Um, he doesn't pull any of it off nearly as well as any of those three other films that we mentioned, mm -hmm. but he's got great performances. It mainly looks very, very good. Yeah, so Audrey Earnshaw is played by Jessica Reynolds and then Agatha Earnshaw is, is played by Catherine Walker. She's been in a lot of things, Catherine Walker, although you may not recognize her necessarily. She's a little bit of a chameleon. I loved her so much in this Irish film a few years ago called Dark Song. And she cuts a very impressive presence in this film as well. Like one of those just rugged, isolated women who is simultaneously powerful and vulnerable to the group. Is there a fascinating dynamic about that, about mob mentality, about what men or dis are deciding, mm -hmm. um, and then about what women are capable of? I, again, it doesn't. the film doesn't always pull it off as well as it could, but I was impressed by it. And this is another one out streaming this weekend, and it starts at $6.99, so not bad, for The Curse of Audrey Earnshaw. Next, the story of a man who loses his wife and his memory in a car accident. Then he undergoes an agonizing experimental treatment that causes him to question who he really is. It's Black Box. Nolan Wright, involved in a car accident, resulting in the death of his wife. I believe that I can reverse your condition. We should give it a shot, right? Come with me, please. We call this headset the Black Box. An immersive virtual pathway to your memories. I saw my wedding. That's progress right there. If that thing shows up again, you just say to yourself, I run my mind, it does not run me. I run my mind, it doesn't run me. <laughs> I run my mind. It doesn't run me. You just need to remember who you are. I run my mind. It doesn't run me. 
This is one of four films in the Welcome to the Bloom House program. And we were excited really to watch all four of them. And this has got a little bit of a sci-fi bent to it. Yeah, it definitely does. The uh, co-writer and director is Emmanuel Osai Kufor. And I, I apologize for butchering that as I probably did. Yeah, it's very much got some uh, sci-fi you're going to recognize. He, he lost his memory, as we said in the synopsis there. And so he does a lot with writing on post-it notes, and he writes on his hand, and so you're thinking memento right sure, away. right, right. And he, he actually has to rely on his young daughter to be sort of the, the parental figure sometimes, mm-hmm. getting him around and reminding him of how to do just daily, to do daily tasks and pick her up from school and things like that. But yeah, there, he learns about this experimental procedure from Dr. Brooks, who's played by Felicia Rashad. Uh, and I should say that the main uh, guy, Nolan, who loses his memory, is played by Mamadou Athey. And he's really good uh, as, as Nolan because as he gets involved in this procedure, and it's, it's like wearing a, one of those big VR headsets. Sure. And it allows him to access memories in his subconscious and hopefully play them out until they, he gets them to move into his consciousness. That's the goal here. But once he gets in there, he starts finding some things that he doesn't recognize and some scary things and he starts to realize maybe he wasn't the man before the accident that he thought he was. Mm-hmm. Maybe not such a good guy. Are there are there questions that he needs to uh, find answers to? So it is a lot of sci-fi. It has some some horror tropes that it leans on, and you're going to recognize some of them, I think. But the main performance by Athey is really good because he has to balance what essentially becomes two characters right. as he starts digging deeper into these uh, subconscious memories. Well, that's a whole different kind of person that acts differently than he he acts, much more aggressive, let's put it that way, as he tries to find out just what happened because there are more questions about the night of his accident and the treatment that he got the night of his accident. And it turns out that one of his best friends is also a doctor, and he's able to dig around a little bit and find out, well, maybe we didn't get the full story about that accident. So it's certainly not great. It didn't doesn't really blaze any new trails, but it is engaging mm-hmm. and offers some, some decent performances and will hold you to the end. It won't blow you away, but as part of this, as you mentioned, the, uh, the Bloom House, they've got a bunch of these coming, right? Mm-hmm. They've got about eight, I think, coming out for, uh, for Halloween. I think this is a decent start, and it is on Amazon Prime only? Yes. Yeah, because it's part of this Bloom House, and we always look forward to uh, seeing whatever they've got coming, and that is Black Box. And the other part of that one-two punch from Bloom House this weekend is the story of a father and a daughter on their way to dance camp when they spot the girl's best friend on the side of the road, and when they stop to offer the friend a ride, their good intentions soon result in terrible consequences. This is called The Lie. Whatever this game is that you're playing, it's over. Where's Brittany? Get off me! Get out of here! I'm going to the police. Brittany! How do you want to do something really bad? I pushed her. (laughs) She fell. The second degree murder. There's something wrong with her. She was such a happy little girl. Okay, this friend, her father came by the house acting strange. Did Brittany ever talk about her father? She told me that he hits her. You ever lose your temper with your kid? Who told you this? Does he really hit her? No. Yes, I learned from the best. Well, I'll tell you what, I've, I've been seeing some reaction 
on social media from people that have already seen this, and it's polarizing. Yes. There are some people that do not like where it goes at the end. Let's put it that way. It's an interesting film, and it has a great cast. Peter Sarsgaard, you know what? If if he can be in your movie, you say yes. Yeah, he's, he's reliable. He's always, always good. He's always good. Joey King, who is in... The first thing I think probably most people saw her in was The Conjuring, and she's been in, I don't know, six or seven different horror films since then, and she's always also reliable. And then Morel Eno, who's also very, very good. They're great in this movie. It's a very small film, and it's basically one of many films, that, you know, what would you do to protect your kid, even if your kid might be a psycho? Yeah, the writer-director is... Vina Sood, and it's actually based on a foreign film called mm-hmm. We're Monster, mm-hmm. which, did you see that? I did not. No. The thing, the problem with the film, that the cast and their talent really probably does elevate it to the point where you're almost okay to accept it, is the plot twist, um, is the lie. And it is problematic to a certain degree, although it's it's interesting, the, the dramatic sort of framing when you finally figure it out, when it's finally made clear to you, y- you almost let it go how kind of ludicrous this is because that, that the last shot is so good. You know what it reminds me of in a different way is Antebellum because there are some people, once they got to the twist in Antebellum, yeah. it's just some people just could not accept that. And sure. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. And it's um, from the reactions I'm seeing, it's it's sort of the same way here. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. You, you know, once the once the twist hits, you're either going to buy it or you're not. <laughs> exactly. Um, and if it weren't for these performances, uh, I, I think probably more of us wouldn't have bought it. But, you know, I thought that, I thought it was worth seeing. And this is is The Lie, and it's out part of that Bloomhouse package available on Prime Video this weekend. And we'll wrap up with another spooky film. Love this. Another successful exorcism streamed online, or so it seems. Can the exorcist producer and their team bring the ratings up? Ratings skyrocket when a real demon gets involved. This is the cleansing hour. And cut. Nice job, everybody. Good job. Follow the monitors, let me lead. All right, everybody, here we go. Three, two. Time to go off script. Well, if you didn't know this was a horror movie, check out the name of the writer-director, Damien Levesque. Right? <laughs> what else could he possibly do for a living? Yeah, that's a, if that's a real name, uh, you were <laughs> pegged early on. So this, obviously, exorcisms have been done all over the place in horror movies, and this adds in the social media angle. That's not new either, and that is what this film feels like. It feels like a retread. Um, It feels like something you've seen a lot of times. It clearly was made with not a great deal of money. There are almost no locations at all. It's all basically in one spot. And and to that end, I think they do a pretty good job. Uh, The performances are solid. Ryan Guzman and Kyle Gallner play boyhood chums who survived Catholic school and are now sort of relying on what they learned in Catholic school to convince... Uh, an online crowd of people that they are saving people's souls with these exorcisms. Well, before we go any farther, did it did it pass your BS detector about Catholic school? 
Almost. <laughs> um, you know, because they say the prayers properly. They say the right prayers. And they say, I don't mean to say exorcism prayers. I don't know what real exorcism <laughs> prayers are. What? I mean, I mean, the ones that the nuns make you say from your knees. Those are the right ones. <laughs> um, they happen to be the only two children in the school, it seems. So that seemed wrong to me. But other than that, I mean, it certainly didn't. I didn't find it problematic. Producers, directors, writers, if you're going to make a horror movie based on Catholicism or Catholic school, you need hope to be your your consultant <laughs> because it's got to pass that BS detector or there's a problem. <laughs> there are like 70 million of us, so I think a lot of us can... But you really get... I you, know. It really bothers it does. you. It does. You about jumped through the screen when we were watching that one... Uh, it was the second Annabelle? Annabelle creation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I digress. Yes. No, you're right. I don't have that much of an issue with the Catholic angle here, partly because they are hucksters, you know, and they are right. pretending to be something that they're not. And um, Ryan Guzman plays Father Max, super smoking hot Father Max, which is part of it, of course, as well. Gulner, you'll probably recognize from a bunch of movies. He's been knocking around since, you know, the 2000s, early 2000s, usually used to play like a goth teen. And now he's gone on to play kind of a scrawny, nice guy, maybe in horror movies. But um, they, they have a good chemistry. And the movie itself, for its budget, I think does a fairly decent job with some scares. But there's very little here that's new. In fact, there's nothing. There's not a there's not a single new idea here, including their twist ending. Their twist ending you were going to see coming from a thousand miles away because it's been a almost the only ending anybody can think of <laughs> when it comes to this kind of a script. So it's a bit of fun. But, you know, the exorcism part is pretty bland. The mm -hmm. sort of hucksters making money off the Internet is pretty bland. How the Internet can go wrong. I mean, it's all it's all pretty tried and true. So so the bottom line, lots of creepy stuff to choose from this week. This one probably isn't the best. And with that, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. We're back in the lobby checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest news. And would it be easier just for you to tell us what hasn't been pushed back? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> the answer to that question would be Wonder Woman 1984. That's it? Yeah. And Death on the Nile, pretty much everything else has moved. Uh, the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, will now come out in April of next year. We just heard the new, the new Pixar, the latest Pixar, is going to drop to Disney+. Plus. Yes, on December 25th. It was supposed to come out, I think, Thanksgiving week, but I was sending it straight to Disney Plus on Christmas Day. And as far as I know, it won't be a premium uh, pay one like Mulan was. It'll be that's free what we on were, the service. That's what yeah. we were wondering. Yeah, it's called Soul, and it looks it looks pretty good. I always look forward to Pixar oh, yeah, stuff. Absolutely. But I imagine with not having the budget to make back like they had on Mulan, that they could they could afford to uh, to not give it that premium $30 extra price. Also on the bad news front, Warner Brothers has pushed Dune back from December to October of next year. Oh, that's so far! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And then, of course, Regal Cinemas, uh, I guess, as of midnight last night, uh, shuttered all of their locations mm. in America and their uh, United Kingdom counterparts. And I know we always talk about movies here, but I also just saw that Broadway has already announced they're going to remain shut down till May. Oof. Yeah, this is not good news all around, but uh, are you hearing anything else? Uh, there's a couple other things. David Fincher's new movie, Mank, 
is premiering on Netflix on right. December fourth. Yeah, so that's good. We'll yeah. get to see that. Yeah, I'm hearing I'm and, hearing lots of lots of early buzz that that could be in the running for major awards. Yeah, yeah, I think they're uh, the I think Netflix is really banking on that and um, Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy, and I swear there's one more movie. Charlie they, Chicago Seven. Yeah, yeah, that would be it. Those those are the three that everyone's expecting them to push for the Oscars, which as of right now are still happening next year. I know they pushed the ceremony back a couple more months, but as long as it holds, that should be a pretty interesting uh, yes. list of nominees this year, yes. given that it's all going to be Indian streaming stuff. Right, and we also found out, I don't know if this is brand new news, but drive-in releases are eligible. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting batch of nominees this time around. It's, it's kind of a free-for-all, honestly. Yeah. I'm kind of excited about it because it's going to be all kinds of movies that no one's ever heard of. And, and also, I feel like Elizabeth Moss has a good shot uh, with uh, Shirley that she might not have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Hardy has a good shot with Capone that he might not have <laughs> had otherwise. Wow. And so those are both exciting yeah, ideas. I think, I think free-for-all is a good way to put it, yeah. yeah. The, the funny thing about that is, obviously, it's not going to be a lot of big movies that people would have seen in theaters this year. But on the flip side, it'll be more unknown titles, but it'll be stuff that, you know, once the list comes out, people can just hop on and either rent or watch right. them on Netflix or right. Amazon. So people could actually catch up before the ceremony right. more than they ever could before. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. You can find Daniel at The Schlocketeer on both Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Daniel was busy this week. He was. With the news. All right, looking ahead to next week, looks like we got more scary stuff. We do, but we also have the trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, that is supposed to be one of the best this year, so we will see. Also, Evil Eye. And Nocturne, both welcome to the Bloomhouse movies. The Mortuary Collection, that's got to be creepy. Yeah, that's a Shudder original. And then Shithouse. Oh, okay. Romantic comedy? <laughs> I think it is, actually. <laughs> uh, the Devil Has a Name. Opening Act. And Martin Eden. And there'll probably be a couple other things pop up, as they usually do. So until then, let us know what you thought about the stuff this week. What are you watching? What are you digging? You can find us easily on Twitter. We're at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Always like to keep the conversation going. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews, other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast, perfect for this time of year, <laughs> called Fright Club. You can always find that at madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. Do us a favor, if you would, and subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much. Until next week, she's Hope Madden, he's, Catholic consultant. He's Jorge Lobo, Wolfman. <laughs> and this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.